0: Genesis chapter 39 the scene has changed from uh, last week last week we were focusing on Judah and the chapter took in about 20 years now we're rewinding back in time to just when Joseph has been sold back in slavery if it was a film the camera cuts back to Joseph as uh, as a young man, he's 17 he's in a slave market and The captain of Pharaoh's guard has just purchased him. Joseph is far from home. He's far from God's place, the promised land. He's far from God's people. And he's been forsaken by his brothers. Well, what of God? Has God forgotten him? You know, there are times when we find ourselves in circumstances and we can feel forgotten by God. Uh, Life takes a turn for the worse and we think, where is God? Or some life-changing moment comes along and we feel alone. And then sometimes, just as we're getting our head above water, another wave crashes over us and we think, why did that have to happen? Where is God in the midst of all of this? I can't take any more. You know, someone once said to me, it's okay for you to talk about trusting God. Nothing ever goes wrong in your life. And I thought, which which version of my life are you watching? Um, But Joseph, you couldn't say that to Joseph. And Joseph is a great example in this of trusting God and living for God. Uh, when things go from bad to worse. And the question that the book of Genesis, one of the questions that the book of Genesis is helping us deal with is, Is God worth trusting? What does trust look like and is God worth trusting? And this passage, is, passage shows us what we need to remember and hang on to and how we need to live. So three things that I want us to see here. First of all, God has not forgotten Joseph. God has not forgotten Joseph. It would be easy to read the story of Joseph and see Joseph as the main character. It's a superb story. But we need to remember that behind all the drama, there is the director of the story. God himself is central. And the the writer, the narrator Moses makes that clear to us. That God is central. And I want us just here to notice three things. First of all, notice the Lord's presence. Notice the Lord's presence. It starts off, verse 2, with the statement, The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. God hasn't forsaken him. He's with him even though he's far from home and far from family. And that's, that's worth noting because... It doesn't seem odd to us because we live here in Western Europe in a place that has been saturated with Christianity and it's teaching that God is everywhere present. The ancient people believed that their gods had jurisdictions, that they were geographically limited, that they were tied to one place. God may have spoken to Joseph in Canaan God and Joseph may have been close in Canaan, but now he's hundreds of miles from there. And yet we're told that the Lord was with him still. And the narrator makes it clear in other ways too. One of the things to look for in uh, in this passage is repetition. Repetition. How he's written the story, he repeats lots of words. It's very clear in the Hebrew uh, sometimes it's less clear in English, but one of them you can see very clearly in those f- first five verses. Look for the, the word Lord. And it's repeated uh, five times in those opening five verses. It's actually repeated a further three times at the end of the chapter. We're told not only that the Lord was with him, but we're told over and over again, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. You mightn't think, well, That's odd. Well, Mark, the book of the Bible is about God, is it not? But actually, this name for God doesn't appear in the rest of the Joseph story except once in chapter 49. And this name of God, the Lord, it's in capital letters in our Bible, refers to God identifying himself as the promise-making, promise-keeping God who does not leave his people and is being hammered home to us He's here with his people. We're meant to see the repetition. The Lord's presence. Also the Lord's blessing. There's, there's more repetition. The Lord blessed him we're told. Uh, and again it's in, in Hebrew uh, it's the same words used. In some English versions the same word is used in verse 2 and 3. The Lord was with Joseph. And what did that mean? He prospered. Verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord gave him success. Same word. God is blessing him. He's prospering because the Lord is with him. And Potiphar sees it. And Potiphar says, I like this. And Joseph, we read, finds favor in the eyes of Potiphar. And Potiphar responds by making him his assistant and then making him his right-hand man in charge of everything in the house and outside the house. And there's more repetition Look for the word all and every and everything. Everything was prospering. Potiphar puts everything into the care of Joseph. And everything runs smoothly. Because Joseph is there. Because God is blessing him. There's also a repetition of putting things in Hebrew into Joseph's hands. And that's that's significant for later. Everything he did. Everything was entrusted to his care. It was in Joseph's care, in Hebrew that's in his hands. So Potiphar trusts him with it all. He doesn't worry about his schedule, doesn't worry about what's happening in the fields. doesn't worry about harvest time, he doesn't worry about hiring and firing servants. It's all sorted. He just turns up for his meals and he can get on with his job of being the uh, captain of the king's guard. Joseph has it under control. And so Joseph goes from being unwanted by his brothers to being exalted to the estate manager of a senior government official. He's far from home, but not far from God. God is with him and God is blessing him. And then we also see that that blessing is extending not just to Joseph, but to Potiphar. How we read in verse 5. Verse 5, from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And then it's repeated, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And that's not insignificant. Because away back in Genesis 12, God had said to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless That's Joseph's great-grandfather heard that promise. Joseph's father, Jacob, was reminded of that promise by his father, Isaac. That God would bless those who bless him. And here again is God keeping his word. So what we're seeing is, whatever's happening in Joseph's life, one thing that we must see is that God is faithful. Faithful. God hasn't forgotten, and we need to hold on to that for ourselves. No matter what's happening in our lives, no matter the uncertainties, no matter the troubles, the discouragements, God is faithful. There may be circumstances in your life where you feel forgotten by God, as if God has moved on, and you feel forsaken and forgotten, abandoned in some dark corner. But if you've put your trust in Jesus, you have a God who promises that I will never do that. I won't do it. I won't leave you or forsake you. And we all pass through times of trial. Our circumstances change for the worse, but God never changes. He promised his people in Isaiah, when you pass through the rivers, I will be with you. God does not forget his people. Do you need reminded of that in the circumstances? You may wish your circumstances were different, like Joseph would have wished they were different. But know this God does not forsake his people. Secondly, God or sorry, Joseph has not forgotten God. First point, God has not forgotten Joseph. Second point, Joseph has not forgotten God. Again, it's interesting how the chapter is written. It starts off with Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Chapter 38, we were told Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Canaan. And there's a parallel being drawn. We know what happened to Judah when he went away from God's people. What will happen to Joseph? Will Joseph forget how he was brought up? Will he forget his God the way Judah did? How will he live away from the watchful eye of home? And we see it in two ways. We, we, we see it that in the ordinary aspects of living for God, he remembered God. And we see that as set out for us here. The first 11 verses probably cover a space of 10 or 11 years. Joseph was 30 when he came to par with Pharaoh. He was 17 when he was sold as a slave. He spent at least two years in prison. So this is probably an 11-year period uh, covered in these verses. And there are clues to Joseph's attitude. Over the 11 years or so, Potiphar notices something about Joseph. Verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, And that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Now, how does Potiphar, a pagan, know that it is the Lord who is with Joseph? Not simply the gods, but that the God of Israel is with Joseph. Joseph must be talking about him. He must be explaining about him. He must be making it clear that he is walking in this God's ways and trusting him. Joseph is living in such a way that Potiphar knows that Joseph's God plays a major role in his life. And one of the things that backs that up is that every time Joseph opens his mouth in the story, he speaks about God. Doesn't matter who it's to, to Potiphar's wife, to the head baker, to the uh the uh, the, the, the cupbearer, to Pharaoh. God, 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 God. He speaks about his God. He's not angry at God for his circumstances. He's keeping his focus on God. He doesn't fall into a puddle of self-pity. He could have done, but he doesn't. He keeps his focus on God and not his problem. He remembers that God's eye is on him and he does his work accordingly under those hard and unjust circumstances, he remembers God sees, and he lives for his God. And there's helpful application for us. God had given him these circumstances to live in, and he has given us our circumstances to live in. And Joseph would have wished his circumstances were different. And we may wish our circumstances were different, that we would have a job, that we would have a different job, that we weren't struggling with sickness, that things were maybe different in our home circumstances or in our family circumstances. We might wish that things were different in work or in farming. We might wish that we didn't have to cope with bodily limitations. But we're to get on with living for God In the circumstances that he's placed us. We can trust him. With those circumstances. That he has given to us. And if we're not yet trusting him for salvation. It may be that he has shaped our circumstances. To bring us to a point of saying. That we can't cope with life ourselves. That we need someone bigger. Than us. And bigger than our circumstances. And he's pointing you to Jesus Christ. If you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, come to him and put your trust in him. And we'll see in this chapter that he is worthy of our trust. And if you have put your trust in Jesus, remember that God has not forgotten you and live like you have not forgotten God. Joseph determines to be the best he can be within the circumstances that God has given to him. And that is our calling as well. There are those who face their troubling circumstances with complaints and whining and what ifs and they say if if things were different I could live for God better. Well, Joseph shows us how to trust God and live for God amidst the trials. Now we're about to see Joseph's faithfulness in a dramatic way. But make no mistake Joseph is faithful under intense pressure because he has been faithful daily under lesser pressure. He is faithful under these very particular circumstances that we'll read in a moment because he has been faithful in general circumstances day after day after day in the grind of life. So let's see Joseph um, not forgetting God in these acute circumstances that we come to under severe temptation and just when things seem to have turned the corner and life is looking up and he is Potiphar's right hand man there's a serious crisis we don't know where in the 11 years it started we're told in verse 6 that Joseph is well built and handsome that's an odd statement in the Bible men's appearance isn't usually commented on and it's flagging something up for us here. And immediately we see why we're told not only has Potiphar noticed Joseph, but his wife has noticed him too. Notice that the blessing of good looks has opened the door uh, to temptation. Um, Those of us who are less handsome may not have that to wrestle with. Uh, But there is a principle here Watch that the blessings that God gives don't become opportunities for temptation. And that can happen. There are times whenever God gives an opportunity, he gives a blessing, he gives a job, but with it comes the temptation to work on the Lord's day. And there are times when the blessings that God gives bring with them their own testing. So watch for that. But let's look at this And we'll look at it under under, uh, just three hooks. First of all, a severe temptation. A severe temptation. Now remember, Joseph hasn't forgotten God. But Potiphar's wife has seen Joseph and she wants him. She demands him. She demands that he sleep with her. Our English here is, is fairly generous. Come to bed with me. She spits out two words. It's commanding and it's blunt. Two words in Hebrew. She demands that he sleep with her. How tempting for a young man. A powerful woman has taken an interest in him. And it's not a notion either. She keeps on and on and on. Verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day. Persistent nagging. And think of all the pressures. It's a severe temptation. Pressures from all sides. Natural desires. The opportunities there. Who will know? Relentlessness in, of, of her demand. And perhaps there is even an opportunity for a rise to power. A fast track to influence. Maybe if she gets together with him. Potiphar can be done away with and pushed aside. And, and Joseph can rise to prominence. Maybe he could have made all sorts of excuses. After all, I'm a slave. What can I do? Or, well, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. Or when in Egypt, do what the Egyptians do. After all, who'll know? Who'll know? Nobody'll know. Or he could have theologized about it. Well, God did say in those dreams that I would become powerful. Maybe this is God's way for me to become influential. Or maybe he could have said, what on earth would I follow God for? I don't owe God anything. Look at the mess he's got me into. He owes me. I don't owe him. Or he could just have said, this is too much. Her nagging has worn me down, like Samson would say, and would just Give in in the heat of the moment. What severe temptation. And perhaps you find yourself under severe temptation at times. And you could find yourself under temptation to, well sure, all my friends in school are doing this. And I'll do it because it seems so easy. And after all, who'll know? Or, Perhaps you could theologize about it. Well, God has led me into this situation and if he hadn't led me into this situation then uh, it wouldn't have happened so God must want me to do this. What twisted reasoning. Or maybe we're resentful at God. Why should I obey God? God owes me. I don't owe him. He has made a mess of my life. And we can use our anger at God or we could just say, I can't take it anymore. I'm giving in. Let's look also then. The second hook is a strong refusal. A strong refusal from Joseph. In contrast contrast to her brusque, short, abrupt demand, Joseph pours out his refusal, building up argument after argument. With me in charge. He said to her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. This is verse 8. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I wonder if day after day, as she's been saying to him, Joseph has been Figuring out his response. And then one day he just launches it at her. Or maybe this was something that came out the very first time. He would betray his master's trust. He would ruin their marriage. He reminds her, you are his wife. And perhaps surprisingly, were you expecting him to finish verse 9 the way it finished? My master has done this. My master has done that. My master has not kept anything from me. You are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my master? But oh no. Not my master. God. God. Joseph. Although he's in Egypt. Knows he's under God's gaze. And he's aware of God's gaze. Not for him when in Rome do as the Romans do. As One writer puts it, Joseph was not that sort of youth. His piety was not a matter of longitude and latitude. His godliness was not a matter of his coordinates. His godliness was not a matter of what part of the world he was in. His godliness was not tied to the fact that I behaved one way in church and another way in school. I used to do that. My shame. I had a mask for school and for home and church and a way of life in school. My piety was tied to my coordinates. Don't let yours, particularly young people, don't let your walking God's ways be tied to your geography, living one way at home or on a Sunday in a different way during the week. And what a contrast! Joseph is to Judah. Judah, the first come-hither glance that a woman gives him, and he's gone. Joseph, she nags and nags and nags, and he refuses, refuses, refuses. His no was a no. It wasn't one of those no's that's actually a yes. He doesn't sort of run away from her looking over his shoulder to see if she's chasing and sort of giving a look that says, come on after me, I have to make this look good. William Taylor, who made the comment about latitude and longitude, said there was no yes in the no which he uttered. There was no yes in the no. I've been reading in the book of Numbers about the prophet Balaam. Uh, and there, he, he said that he wouldn't go with the, uh, with the messengers. And he wouldn't curse Israel. But there was a yes in his no. And he ended up going. And there are times throughout the Bible we find that there is a yes in the no that people utter, a half-heartedness. And let us say no to sin as if we meant it. And let us keep saying no. Her persistence is matched by his persistence. And when she corners him and grabs him, he tries to run. She holds on to his garment. And it's not a cloak like an an outer coat. It's his his whole garment that he's wearing and he wriggles out of it and he runs out the door. Doesn't care who sees him running out of the house with little on. He'd rather be humiliated and keep his integrity. Matthew Henry says it is better to lose a good cloak than a good conscience. What instruction there is here for us when we face temptation. Let your no be no run from it. Joseph, we're told, uh, refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. He put himself as far out of temptation's reach as he could. Doesn't matter what it costs you, run. If it costs you friends, run. If it costs you pleasure, run. If it causes you to be thought of as strange, run. If it causes you to miss out on being connected to the internet because you can't trust your eyes with a device, run, leave your phone behind, relegate yourself not to a smartphone but to a dumb phone, one that has buttons only, that doesn't have internet connectivity. Or when you're under particular pressure, take that sort of a phone with you. We live in a world where we can do that. Live as if you carry an open petrol can at all times, and you're walking amidst sparks. Joseph. For Joseph, if he is going to succeed, it is going to be God's way or no way. Uh, A strong refusal. And then our third hook just here is a second injustice. What happened next? Did God elevate him and honour him for this? Prison. Prison. He, the man who had everything put into his hands has left his cloak in the hand of Potiphar's wife. And our author, there's just brilliance here in the way he tells it. He, he, the Hebrew echoes that hand. He, everything we he put in his hands and his cloak a cloak. Remember how a cloak had betrayed him before. His his precious multicolored or ornate garment was taken and dipped in blood and taken to his father. And Joseph is dead. And as it were, a cloak betrayed him. And now a cloak is his undoing again. What a contrast with Judah who willingly left his property with a woman as proof that he was unfaithful. Joseph Leaves his property behind because he wants to be faithful. And does it go well with him? No. Prison. Potiphar arrives home. His wife recounts a story. She does that thing of passing the buck. She actually blames Potiphar, the servant you brought. It's all your fault that this happened. But I wonder, I do wonder if Potiphar knew what was going on because it would have been more normal for the captain of the guard to execute a slave for something as wicked as the attempted rape of his wife. But he doesn't. We're told he was angry, but we're not told with whom he was angry. Was it that he was angry with his wife for wasting another servant? He has to deal with it. He has to be seen to deal with it. he loses this valuable asset it may be may not be but either way doesn't matter for joseph he's in prison and we wonder was it worthwhile trusting god and obeying god look where it gets him so don't be surprised if your obedience doesn't lead to blessing in the short term it may lead to hardship injustice and trouble and that brings us to our final point and briefly Our first point, God has not forgotten Joseph. Our second point, Joseph has not forgotten God. The third thing we see is God has still not forgotten Joseph. God has still not forgotten Joseph. You remember how the section, the chapter opens, the Lord was with Joseph. Well, look at verse 20, the beginning of the paragraph, halfway through verse 20 but while the Lord was there in prison while Joseph was there in prison verse 21 the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder and you're hopefully thinking at this stage hold on that sounds familiar the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success and Joseph found favour in the eyes of Potiphar he found favour in the eyes of the prison warder And the prison warder puts everything into his care, into his hands. Remember the word everything kept appearing in the opening section. Remember the word Lord kept appearing in the opening section. Three times in the Hebrew it's in this section. Everything is given into the hand of Joseph. And there was another word that appeared twice in the opening paragraph. And it's the very last word of the paragraph in Hebrew. It's the word success. It's the word success. In one sense, as you look at this paragraph from the middle of verse 20 to the end, it's almost an exact replica of the opening paragraph. God is with him. God favored him. The warder saw that God was favoring. The warder favored him. The warder entrusted everything into his hands. And the Lord gave him success. God still hasn't forgotten Joseph. Nothing has changed. Although the circumstances have taken a dip, a turn for the worse, nothing has changed. God is present. He's blessing. He's shaping Joseph. God knows what he's doing. Whatever path he takes you on, no matter how many ups and downs, he's working for your good. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. How do we know this for sure? How can we transfer what we see God doing in Joseph to ourselves? Because it's not the only time God does it. We see it in many places in Scripture, but in one place in particular we see it. Joseph paints a picture for us Of somebody else. And that somebody else tells us you can trust my father. Joseph paints a picture for us of someone who was betrayed by his brothers. Someone who was unjustly accused. Someone who lived under severe temptation. Someone who was unjustly accused and judged and humiliated, and not simply imprisoned, but executed, and his life seemed to take one downward turn after another. And yet, he finishes, doesn't he? Into your hands I commit my spirit. He says, you can trust my father. Joseph is a portrait for us in the Old Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Joseph went through all that so that he could bring salvation to those who had hurt him. And Jesus went through all that he went through to bring salvation to those who had hurt him. And we see in Jesus Christ the true and better Joseph. And we see in Jesus Christ that God's plans are higher than our plans and his ways are above our ways. And Jesus says to us, you can trust my father. Trust him, because he is working all things for the good of his people. And if we follow Jesus, our life will follow the same patterns. It will have ups and downs, and sometimes the downs are followed by more downs. But we know with Jesus and with Joseph that exaltation comes. God does not forget his people. He was with Joseph. He blessed Joseph. He stood with Joseph despite the accusations. He's making Joseph into the man God wants him to be. And Joseph keeps his eyes on God, flees from temptation, trusts God no matter what is happening. And we know the end of the story, how he's exalted and honored. And that end of the story is also the end of Christ's story, how he is exalted and honored. And it'll be the end of our story if we keep trusting our God and keep trusting the Lord Jesus Christ amidst the ups and downs of life, God has not forgotten you. Don't forget him. If you're able, let's stand as we come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, how we thank you For the story of Joseph, it is packed with so many vital practical lessons for our lives. And yet, it paints this portrait as well of a true and better Joseph one who resisted temptation, one who was unjustly accused, one who was imprisoned and executed. And that was part of your great plan to bring salvation to many. And you pictured it in Joseph, a man unjustly accused, a man imprisoned, a man. And this was the pathway to bring salvation to many. So, Lord, we see that your ways are higher than our ways. They're better than our ways and we can't figure them out. But, Lord, help us to trust you having seen it in Joseph, but much better and much more potently and powerfully in your Son, who is our Savior. And we know from Him that all things work for the good of those who trust in Him. He has promised it to us. And you have said that if you have given us your Son, how will you not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to flee from temptation. Help us to know our weaknesses. Help us, Lord God, we pray, to know that you have not forgotten us and help us not to forget you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.